Yes, I hope you're ready. We are kicking off a new series this weekend called These Three, and we're going to be teaching through 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and so you can see where we very creatively got the title, These Three. All right, I'm going to leave that right there. Y'all figure it out later. 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, These Three, and you're also going to see in just a second why we chose that title as well, because there's kind of three primary themes that we're going to hit in this series, and we're going to be in this one for a while. It's going to go from Memorial Day to Labor Day, as we just kind of walk through these three letters from John to Christians that are still applicable to us today. And when I was driving the other day, in fact, I was right here by our uh, Canton church, or, or Revolution in Canton, and I pulled up behind a car that had uh, not just like a bumper sticker on the back of it, but the whole back window was a sticker. Now, you may own this car, and if you do, you're amazing. Um, but this sticker had uh, on the back of it three things, and it said, number one, God. Number two, girl. Thank goodness it didn't say girls, just girl. And then number three, golf. <laughs> so, I, I, of course, at first I saw the alliteration of that. I'm like, oh, I might like this guy. So number one, God. Number two, girl, number three, golf, but then at the bottom, it said this phrase, but sometimes I get them confused. Sometimes I get them confused, and I thought, man, how amazing is that? We're starting this new series called These Three, and on the back of this car, there's three things that we need to, to know about this cat that's driving the car. Number one is, you know, God is number one in his life, his girl's number two, golf's number three, but how refreshing it is that he's not the only one that gets it confused, Right? That we all kind of get these things confused in our life sometimes. And it may not be those three, it may not be God, girl, and golf in that order for you. It might be some other kind of alliteration. But that's another reason why we're doing this series is because a lot of times we get it confused about what it means to be a Christian. And what you're going to see in First John is primarily three themes that John's going to come back to over and over and over again. In fact, John writes very circular what I mean by that is he doesn't just write like the letter from beginning to end with kind of building on each thought. It's very linear in his thinking. It's very circular. And what that means is, as you're going to see, John's going to keep coming back to some main themes over and over and over again. In fact, there's three main themes that John's going to come back and hit over and over and over again. It's going to feel like he's just kind of weaving in and out of them because that's what he does. And the three main things that John's going to hit in this text is, one, right doctrine, two, obedient living, and three, love for one another. And so these three things John's going to hit over and over and over again, right doctrine, obedient living, and love for one another. And you're going to see that as we walk throughout this series for the next 15 weeks, you're just going to see these three circular things just kind of coming back up and up again. And as we go through it, I hope all of us will have, you know, the, the intended effect that John wanted to have on us is to ask ourselves the questions, man, do I exhibit these three things? Are these three things evident in my life? Do I have right doctrine? Am I obeying that? And ultimately, is that leading for me to love others? And so as we go throughout this series, these three, it's a good thing for us to just kind of walk through a book for an extended period of time, and we typically do this every summer, just take a book or a section of a book and just kind of walk through it to really dig into it and dive in. And so we're going to pray before we get started, and then we'll jump into 1 John, all right? Let's pray. 
Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for who you are. I thank you for the Apostle John and how he walked with Jesus, how he was loved by Jesus, how he loved Jesus. And God, I pray that we would listen to his words today, that you inspired by your Holy Spirit, because he did walk with Jesus. He did talk to Jesus. He did see him. He did touch him. He was with him. And so therefore, he has extreme authority in our life. He is an apostle, and his apostolic authority comes from the fact that he was with Jesus. And so, God, I pray that as we walk through these letters for the next several weeks, God, that we would allow them to have their intended effect on us, to really look at our life and judge it by what he is saying. And God, we know that we can't do that without your spirit, so would you open our eyes to the truth in it? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So you have a Bible, open it up to 1 John. In case you don't know where 1 John is, it's toward the back, all right? If you get to the book of Revelation, which John also wrote, you've gone too far, all right? So 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, Jude, and then the book of Revelation. So it's towards the back, it's easier to find. And so we're going to just camp out there, like I said, from now until Labor Day and hit primarily over the summer, 1st John, and then in August hit 2nd and 3rd John. And so in 1st John chapter 1, what you're going to see is kind of an intro, if you will, and it, and it should sound very similar to you to John chapter 1, the gospel of John, because the same guy wrote that book as well. And what you see in John chapter 1 is he's telling the story, his account of Jesus. And what you see in 1 John and 2 John and 3 John are kind of the practical implications of everything he, he said in John. And so John is kind of the historical account, all the things that Jesus did that he recorded. And he tells us in John 20, he recorded those things so we might believe. And so now he's coming back in 1 John and hitting those beliefs again in a very circular fashion of what we should believe. So 1 John, let's start in verse 1. It says, that which, we have, uh, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us that, with that which we have seen and heard and proclaim also to you, we're still in one sentence by the way, so that you too may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son Jesus Christ. That was all one sentence. You can tell he's a little excited. And then the last sentence here in verse four, and we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. So what you see here, John is saying to these churches that he's writing this letter to, and it's not so much a church in a specific geographical location like Ephesians or Colossians or Philippians. He's writing to a broader audience and he's giving his authority, if you will. He is saying to them, the reason why I have the authority to write to you is because I've seen him. I've touched him. I was with him. I heard him. And, and, and what is this him? He says the word of life. And it's interesting. He actually refers to as an it. We've seen it. We've heard it. We've touched it. What is it? It's the word of life. Now, again, this should sound very similar to John chapter one, where he says, in the beginning was the word 
And the word was with God. The word was God. In him was life and his life was the light of men. You'll hear that in just a second as well. And so Jesus is the word that was made manifest and John saw it, touched it, heard it. And that word there, manifest, literally means to reveal. God revealed the Son. And the whole reason why God revealed the Son is because the Son is the revelation of God. What I mean by that is this, and you can see it in the book of Revelation when it says this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's not revelations, plural. Please correct yourself if you say that, right? It's just one of those pastoral pet peeves, people that book of revelations. No, it's not plural, it's singular. Why? Because there's only one revelation. And what is that revelation? Hebrews 1 tells us that in the past he spoke through the prophets, but now he has spoken to us through his son. And so what that means is this, the highest revelation of God is Jesus. There is no revelation beyond Jesus. There is no word that was made manifest that is higher or greater than Jesus. This is why you need to understand any prophet that has come after Jesus is a poser. Now, I'm talking about big prophet. I'm not talking about the gift of prophecy. The gift of prophecy is just saying truth. But I'm talking about people who came after Jesus who claim to have a revelation from God. You know what I would say to that? What does your revelation prove that Jesus didn't already prove? And if Jesus was the final revelation of God, why in the world do we need yours? Now, that's very harsh and critical, but please understand what I'm saying. What I'm saying is this. John is testifying to the greatest word ever. John is proclaiming the revelation of God in the face, as Paul would say it, of Jesus Christ. Why? Because he is the revelation of God. Jesus said things like this. We did this in our Father series. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So it becomes of paramount importance to us to listen to what John has to tell us about Jesus, don't you think? That would be a yes. Okay, just making sure you're alive. John says, man, we've seen it, we've touched it, we've heard it, and now we proclaim it. You say, I, can I really trust John? People do this to the Bible all the time. Can I trust what the Bible says? Well, before you get your, you know, all up in a wad, please understand something that John had seen Jesus. And that's where John's authority came from. John is what we would call a big A apostle. What that means is this. The big A means authority. And there are no big A apostles anymore. There can be little A apostles who have the gift, the apostolic gift, yes, which is starting things and spreading things. That is a gift. But the big A apostle means this. What gave John his authority was not his opinion, but his eyes. What gave John his authority was not his opinion, but his ears. What gave John the authority was not his opinion, but his hands. He had seen Jesus, he had heard Jesus, and he had touched Jesus. And so what that means is the writers of the New Testament got their authority not based upon who they claimed they were, but who they had been with. 
That's Jesus. This is why anybody writing after that time is not on the same level and it's not included in Holy Scripture. This is why no matter who comes to your door and tries to proclaim to you otherwise, there is only one set of Holy Scriptures and it's this book. And there's been all kinds of councils that have met about why certain ones are in and certain ones are not. And the reason why the ones that are in are in is because they were with Jesus. And so John is saying, seen it, I've testified to it. Now here's the the last one I think it's so important for us today. He said, I've proclaimed it. I've proclaimed it to you. That means to report or to announce. John said, I've seen it, I've heard it, I've touched it, and now I proclaim it to you. Why? John says, two so that's. Two so that's. He says it twice. The first so that, and go back and look at it, he says, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And then he clarifies, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So the first so that that John gives as to why he is proclaiming this is so that they, he says you, those who he is writing this to, so that you may have fellowship with us. That word there, fellowship, is the Greek word koinonia. So you may have fellowship with us. So you may be with us. And who is John's fellowship with? He says it's with the Father and with the Son. So understand this. The reason why John is proclaiming this, what he's seen, what he's heard, what he's touched, the reason why he's proclaiming it is because there are other people who hadn't seen, who hadn't heard, who hadn't touched. Now, this is important. John says, we've seen it. We've heard it. We've touched it. Now we're proclaiming it to you. Why? Because Jesus didn't walk physically over the entire earth. He was relegated to a pretty small geographical location where he was born and where he lived and where he eventually died and then went back to heaven. And so there were people all around the region who hadn't seen him, who hadn't heard him, who hadn't touched him. And now John considers it his responsibility to proclaim to those people who hadn't seen him, who hadn't heard him, who hadn't touched him, so that they could have fellowship with them, which was ultimately with God. So John now saw himself as the conduit to the people who hadn't seen and touched and heard. And it's his job to proclaim to them the revelation he got so that they can see and hear and believe. So understand it like this. The primary job of a believer, of a Christian, is twofold. It's first to see and hear and touch. Now, obviously, I'm not speaking physically at this point because Jesus is not here physically, but his spirit is. And by his spirit, my mind and heart is opened up to the truth of the word because this word is, uh, is the revelation of Jesus. This word is about Jesus. And so when I see and hear out of this word, belief is created. And that's my first responsibility is to believe. And so as Christians, it's important, yes, that we dig into the word, that we see, that we hear, that we believe. 
But I think, unfortunately, a lot of Christians stop there. It's not just our responsibility to see and hear and believe. It is also our responsibility to proclaim what we have heard and what we have seen. And this is where a lot of believers stop. We stop short of proclaiming what we've heard, what we've seen, what we've believed. But I want to connect this for you. John, and I'll show you even more in just a second. John had been with Jesus. That's what qualified him. He didn't go to seminary. He wasn't trained on evangelism explosion. He didn't take a 17-week course on how to share his faith. And you know what he did? He just heard and saw Jesus. And now he's proclaiming it. You say, well, what qualifies him to proclaim it? He had seen Jesus. In fact, after Jesus left, this is what's amazing. You don't have to turn there. I'll just read it to you for a reference. But Acts chapter 4, verse 13. After Jesus had already ascended into heaven, Pentecost had come, which was last Sunday. We talked about that. The Holy Spirit empowered believers never to leave again. You'd seen the Holy Spirit do it in instances throughout the Old Testament. But now he is here fully. And so they're empowered by the Holy Spirit. They, Peter stands up and proclaims the gospel. They get in trouble. They get in trouble with the authorities. But listen to what the authorities said about Peter and remarkably John. Acts 4.13, it says this. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were, now listen to this, uneducated, common men, they were astonished. When they perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. Now listen to the next sentence. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. What gave John and Peter their boldness? It wasn't their education. It wasn't their uncommonness. They were common. And I've said this before, but you know that word common? Literally, the Greek word for it is idiotos. It's where we get our word idiot. So those in power perceived that Peter and John were uneducated idiots who had been with Jesus. And they were astonished at their boldness. You know what that means? You can educate yourself beyond boldness. You can get all the knowledge in the world. You can get all the education in the world. You can get all the uncommonness in the world. But what really qualifies you, what really builds the boldness is not the education, it's the being with Jesus. And so what I want you to see is this, when you've been with Jesus, you can't help but proclaim him. When you've seen Jesus, when you've heard Jesus, when you believe Jesus, you can't help but proclaiming and you don't put any limits on you about whether or not you're prepared to do it. Again, think about when you get excited about stuff. If you find a new product that you just love, you get an Apple Watch or an iPhone. Or a guy that we had in this last week was telling us about this contraption that, that makes steaks like the most amazing steaks you've ever had. And so, of course, I looked it up on Amazon and going to be ordering that sucker. But you know what was funny? He also told me about glasses that he had, this company that he loved. 
And he said this point, he says, you know, we do evangelism all wrong. Because when you're passionate about something, no one has to train you how to share it. He didn't go to a training and this contraption was this like French contraption. It has this French name. Uh, I can't even, I'm not even gonna attempt how to say it. Um, He didn't know anything about French cooking or French cuisine. All he knew was someone told him about this contraption. He used it and it was the best steak he ever had. And so he shared it. He wasn't educated, he was just common. And yet so often when it comes to Jesus, we don't proclaim him because we put so much emphasis on being educated and saying the right things when, listen, all you really need is a passionate boldness that comes out of the fact that you've tasted him. You've seen him, you've been with him. Because when you've been with him, You proclaim him. And so we see that connection. John said, we just hung with Jesus. That's where our authority comes from. And now we're proclaiming it to you so that you may have fellowship with us. But there's a second so that. The second so that, verse four, may sound self-serving. But he says, we are writing these things to you so that our joy may be complete. What a weird thing to write. The first so that is so that you may have fellowship with us. The second so that is so that our joy may be complete. Like John is so selfish. What is he all concerned about his joy for? Shouldn't we share Christ because we're supposed to? Shouldn't we serve and give because we should? Isn't it all about duty? Isn't it all about I'm supposed to? No, for John, it was all about joy. Notice he didn't say, so that you may have fellowship with us, so that we may do our job. So that we may check off that we shared our faith this week. It's not what he says. What does he say? so that our joy may be complete. Think about it like this. One commentary read it like this, and I'm just gonna read it to you. His joy comes from other, his joy comes from knowing that others walk in the truth. What if your joy came not from what you did, but from through which what others did because you proclaimed to them? What if your joy was tied up in others? You know you would have more joy, don't you? Think about it. Those of you who've had kids, you understand what I'm saying. I used to get joy out of playing sports. I used to get joy out of being competitive. I used to get joy out of doing things that I enjoyed doing. But you know what I get more joy out of now? Watching my kids do those things. I said this often, no one told me in seminary how much fun it was to watch other people's eyes light up, to watch other people love the scriptures as much as I do, to watch other people know and have fellowship with God like I do. And so what's amazing about 
the Christian faith is not only do we get the joy in tasting it, we get the joy in sharing it and watch as others taste it. So could it be the one of the reasons why we don't have joy is because we're not proclaiming to others? Could it be that our joy is lacking and suffering and we come to church because we're not proclaiming to others, we're not doing everything that we can for others? Because one thing I know is everybody gets all excited when a baby is born. What if the church got all excited when a Christian was born? What if that became our joy? Every time a bell rings, an angel gets its wings. What if... What if that's what we celebrated? Not an angel getting its wings, but a Christian coming from death to life. We would have a more joyous church, wouldn't we? You want to know why churches lost their joy? Because they quit proclaiming. That's why they lost their joy. The Holy Spirit left and nobody noticed. And the reason why the Holy Spirit left is because an exaltation of being and sharing Jesus left and it became about us for and no more. And we started having arguments about colors of carpet and paint on the wall when God's like, you think I care about that? I care about you believing in Jesus and you proclaiming Jesus. This is simply just a building. When it became about our creature comforts more than it became about inviting others into our fellowship. People always say, I don't go to that church because it's too big. What if it wasn't about the bigness of the church, but it was about the smallness of hell? When have we ever said anything that we loved, if it was getting bigger, would be bad? Now hear me, I understand the goal of the church is not to get bigger. The goal of the church is to proclaim the message and let God decide how big it gets. But the goal of the church is to spread. And if the mission of the church ever becomes about anything else other than proclaiming Jesus so that others can have fellowship with us, so that they can have fellowship with God, then the mission's off. And so as a church, that's our mission. And I didn't come up with that. Jesus did. (laughs) And here's what I'm saying to you. You continue to make that your mission, your joy will go through the roof. Isn't it funny? Like psychologists, we know this now. When we serve other people, it releases endorphins. We get all excited and we feel better about ourselves. Hmm, go figure. It's almost like God created our brains to get joy when we gave of ourselves. Not gave to ourselves, gave of ourselves. So as a church, that's always our mission. And you got to understand that. I mean, you do go to a church with the name Revolution Church. And so the word revolution means sudden marked change. So please understand as a church, the one thing that never changes around here is that things are always changing around here. And if you hadn't gotten dizzy from that yet, thank you for hanging in there because we're not going to keep changing stuff. Why? 
because we're still trying to figure out better ways to proclaim it. Our goal is not to get something set and then feel better about ourselves. Our goal is to constantly proclaim it. And if the way we're doing it isn't as effective, we'll change it. So don't get attached to anything about how we do things around here. Why? Because the goal of the church was not to set it and forget it. The goal of the church was for it to continue to be dynamic. And that's the exciting part. That's the joy. I'm getting so joyful. I don't even have a lot of time to do the second half of the message. This is only half of it. But here's what I'm saying to you. As a church, we've got to constantly think, okay, how can we proclaim this better? What, what are we doing that's prohibiting people from having fellowship with us? And so one of the changes we're making this summer is we're going to be completely redesigning our lobby here in Canton. We'll be changing up in Jasper as well so that we can better help people have fellowship with us. Because we want people to join a team, join a group, join the church. So we're going to redesign our whole space out there. It's been about five years. Can you believe that? We've been in this building here in Canton for five years. And the worst thing that we could do is get settled. I got my seat. I got my coffee. Who is that new person? And why are they sitting next to me? That's the worst mentality we can have. Church, if that's our mentality, our church is done. Done. Holy Spirit will leave. We'll still sing Kumbaya and feel better about ourselves. But if we miss the message of proclaiming to others and doing everything that we can to take away distractions and disturbances and barriers for people to coming to have fellowship with Jesus, then we will actually lose our joy. This is why Philemon says, there's only one chapter in Philemon. He says, be active in sharing your faith so that you may know the joy that you have. So what that means is this, if there's an absence of sharing, if there's an absence of proclaiming, there'll be an absence of joy. Now, let's move on. I've got like six minutes left to do the second half. Woo, put your seatbelts on. Verse five, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you. That God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Now, let's stop there for a second. I got to be honest with you. When I first became a Christian at the age of 13, and I started reading my Bible, I would read scriptures like that, and it would terrify me. Because I was like, oh, no, I still sin. And he just said... If we say, there's three if we say statements. In fact, that's the title of the message today. He says, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. And when I read that as a young believer, I'm like, oh my gosh, I still sin, so I'm in darkness. And so I got saved. Anybody with me like a thousand times? I've said that to you before, but I just want to come back around to that so that you'll know that your pastor even though theologically you don't get saved more than once, but I thought you did because I thought I could lose it. And so therefore I must've asked Jesus into my heart a thousand times. Thank God for the rest of the scripture. Look at the next few verses, verse seven. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Now listen to this. And the blood of Jesus, his son cleanses us from, everybody say from, all sin. 
Now listen to this. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. You know what that just said? Walking in darkness is not the same as sinning, per se. The word darkness is a different word than sin. It means evil. It means the realm of evil. We might call it the realm of the dead. And John says, here's the message. The message is God is light. And in him, there is no darkness. So what is light and darkness? John tells us in John, the gospel, chapter one, he says, in him was life. And the life was the, anybody know? Light of men. His life was the light. So what is light? Light is life. What is darkness? Darkness is death. So he's saying those who walk in the light have fellowship with God because he is in the light. Those who walk in the darkness don't have fellowship with God because there is no darkness in him. And so he's talking about life and death, light and darkness. Two different realms here. And then he qualifies or clarifies or explains. What does it mean to walk in the light? You want to know what it means? It doesn't mean you don't have sin. Because he says, if you say you don't have sin, you call God a liar. Probably the most comforting verse in all of scripture to me. Thank you, God. Thank you that it's actually emotionally healthy to confess my sin. You know what he's saying? To walk in the light is not to not have sin. To walk in the light is to confess your sin. To agree with God that what you're doing is sin. To agree with God that only Christ can cleanse you from sin. I had you repeat the word there, from, because it is a preposition of relation. And the word from means you have a relationship with. And so here's what he's saying. When you come to Jesus, you have a different relationship with sin. You have a different relationship with sin. And the way that you know that you're in the lightness is the lightness, is that a word? The way that you know that you're in the light, I was thinking darkness and light, and so I just said lightness, and so flow with me there. The way that you know you're in the light and not in the darkness is your relationship with sin has changed. What do I mean by that? Now, instead of trying to cover your sin and let everybody think that you're all holy, you confess your sin and let everybody know you're all cleansed. So what that means is Christians should be the best confessors. Christians should be the best confessors. To live in the light is to expose. But you want to know why Christians aren't the best confessors? Is because we're afraid of the light. We're afraid of being exposed, so we cover, don't confess. But if the message is true, that Jesus' blood cleanses us from all unrighteousness, then why are we not lining up to confess? This is why I love Christianity over any other faith. It is the only 
emotionally healthy faith. Where the way to practice it, notice he says, if you live in the darkness, you walk in the darkness, you're not practicing truth. And then later he says, if you confess your sins, you're in the truth. I have to be in the truth before I can practice the truth. And this is the difference between Christianity. Other people try to practice their way in. We practice our way out. What that means is this. I'm either in it or I'm not in it. I'm either dead or I'm alive. And what's the difference? The difference is if Christ has cleansed me. And if he's cleansed me, then I'm in it. How does he cleanse me? He cleansed me because I confess. And so when I say it's the only emotionally healthy faith, what I'm saying is it's the only faith where the way to win is to lose. The way to be saved is to give up. Remember last week, if you were here, we talked about rest. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest for your soul. You know what it means to rest? It means to quit trying to be good. Now, how's that for a message? Quit trying to be good. When have you ever come to church and heard that? Quit trying and just taste. Just confess. And so as a young Christian, I went from being so terrified of this scripture to so comforted by the scripture. Because what qualifies me is not my works, but my confession. And that's why we should proclaim it. See, the problem with the Christian church today is we're proclaiming the wrong message. We're proclaiming more politically morality. Here's what you need to do. Quit doing that and start doing this. I don't know why I went all redneck on it, but that's just kind of how we say it to the world. To where the message is, he did this. And because he did this, I get this. I get cleansing. I get fellowship with the Father. I get fellowship with other believers because of what he did. And I love how he says that if you say you don't have sin, you know what that's saying? If you say you don't need a savior, you say God's a liar. So listen to this. If you act like you don't need Jesus, you're saying to God, you're a liar. Anybody here want to say that? I didn't think so. The best way not to make God a liar is to believe in his son. Again, Chip said this a few weeks ago. We make, we make Christianity so much harder than it was intended to be. And the reason why we don't proclaim it is because we haven't tasted it. Again, we do evangelism all wrong. We tell people what they should do. Instead of just inviting people in to be like, oh, this is the best thing you will ever hear or see. And after you hear that your sins have been cleansed, after you see the son for who he is, you'll have no problem proclaiming it. So this response is really twofold. One, have you confessed? 
have you heard and seen today about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done? And you can be saved and your sins can be forgiven and you can be made clean and you can move out of darkness into light. And the second response is, are you proclaiming that? Let's pray. Father, thank you for saving us. Thank you for this message that you are light and in you is no darkness at all. And the word that was with you, that is you, was made manifest. He was revealed to us. And he died in our place for our sin. So the amazingness of our message today, God, is not what we need to do. It's what you did. And I pray for anybody who has not received that, who has not believed that, who has not rested in that, who's not heard it and seen it and tasted it. Pray that you'd save them. Nobody looking around or talking here as we close, I just want to give you a chance to respond to this message that you've heard. And the right response is believe it. Believe it, it was for you. Rest in it. Put all your sin, confess them to Jesus, and Jesus will give you his sonship. He will give you fellowship with his Father. So if that's you, if you want to trust Christ, I'm going to ask you to pray with me to yourself, not out loud. And the reason why we pray is we just simply, this is the confession. And it goes like this. Say, God, thank you for loving me. That you sent your son in my place for my sin. I ask you to save me. Forgive me. Cleanse me. Thank you so much for loving me. I believe in Jesus. And I'm trusting him to save me. Nobody looking around or talking again. If you just prayed that with me, I want you to do one thing for me. Would you just simply lift your hand so we can see that? We just want to celebrate with you. Thank you. Like I said, we love seeing Christians born. And we want to celebrate that because proclaiming to you gives us more joy. And then the second part of the response, like I said, for those of us who have heard and who have seen, but we're not proclaiming. We're not joining the mission of the church to proclaim. Please don't hear me today saying that you, this is something you should do. Please hear me saying that if you're not proclaiming it, two things. One, you're not seeing it. You're not hearing it. You're not touching it. So if you're having a problem proclaiming Jesus, go back into the word and see it and hear it so that you can testify to it. Ask God to give you 
to return to you the joy of your salvation. And I promise you that's a prayer he'll answer. So study it, see it, be satisfied in it, and you'll have no problem sharing it. And then the second one, if you do that, you'll actually have more joy. When you see your neighbor, your friend, your child, your coworker come to know Jesus, your joy will go through the roof. And you'll want more joy. And as a church, let's always commit to do whatever we can for as long as we have to proclaim what we have heard and seen and not fall in love with any particular way of how we do that. But stay in love with the message, not the method. God, I pray that you would grant this to us. This is your word. We believe it. And we ask you to let it be planted in our life, to take effect. We trust that you said it will never return void. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.